so good to hear everybody's conversations about this. Um, it's definitely something that has opened a massive can of worms for us and with some of the YFs we were just talking about, you know, why we kind of like the things we like and it was really interesting. Um, my name is Abigail, um, if I haven't met you, um, and it's my pleasure to be reading God's Word today. Um, a very warm welcome, especially if, it, if you're new. Um, yeah, so today's Bible reading is from Philippians 1, uh, verses 12 to 30. And if you don't have a paper Bible but would like a paper Bible, then feel free to raise your hand and someone will get one to you. Before we begin, let me pray. Dear Gracious Lord, thank you so much for the privilege of reading your word um, and being together as a community. Lord, I do pray that you would teach us as we read your word, um, that you would show us your glory, um, show us how important it is for us to be fixing our eyes on Jesus and seeing others know him. I pray this, I pray for help for Pastor Matt. I pray that you would help him preach faithfully from your word. Um, yes, I pray that you would help us hear and obey, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Philippians, chapter 1, verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The most important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. This is God's word. All right, well, good morning, church. It is great to be back here together to continue our series on Philippians. 
Uh, so keep your Bibles open to that passage. We'll be having a look at that uh, in a moment. Now, I'm not sure uh, if you discovered a, a real fanatic uh, in your conversations earlier, uh, just during our break. I, I remember through uni, but I had a mate who, uh, he was just an, an absolute mad fanatic, right? Uh, he would have this one thing that would be on his mind all the time that he would talk about constantly, that he would uh, be, it'd be just the thing that fuels his, his, his everything. You see, he was an absolutely mad Cronulla Sharks supporter, okay? Now, I don't know if you've ever met kind of a total mad footy head before. Uh, I grew up as a Broncos fan myself, but I'd never kind of got to that level of fanaticism uh, that this friend had. Uh, he actually went to every single game, right? The sense in which the Sharkies would just flow through his veins. He would uh, stand by them when, when they lost. Uh, he'd be really excited when they won. Uh, he was absolutely singularly obsessed about the Cronulla Sharks. That's all he would talk about. Now, that was his passion. That's what he could uh, talk about for hours. But the, the thing is, he also called himself a bit of a tragic as well. Because in 50 years of the Cronulla Sharks, they've only won the Premiership once. Once, and that was in 2016, so only a few years ago. Uh, so you can imagine how long suffering a, a Cronulla Shark supporter would be. So now I wonder if you know someone like that. I wonder if you are someone like that in some way. You know, the thing that really gets you up in the morning, that occupies your mind and, and gets you really excited when things are happening in that space for you. Uh, I don't know if it's a, it was a, whether it was a hobby, a video game, uh, it's your renovations, whatever it was that might have been that thing for you that kind of uh, excites your passion. Well, today we're actually going to be reading about Paul, the Apostle's passion, about his single-mindedness about the thing from which he finds his joy just flowing through his veins and how he's going to show us how actually that joy would be the thing that, that, that flows through him and it's a thing that can't be shaken by the circumstances, that won't ride on the winds or the losses or the highs and the lows of life. It's a joy that is unshakable. Now, the extraordinary thing is that Paul is under house arrest. Now, uh, we've, we've mentioned this before, but at the end of Acts, we hear about Paul uh, being under house arrest in his own rented house. Uh, he's, he's under Roman custody awaiting trial. Now, we've got a lot of evidence that actually right now, uh, Paul has probably actually now been moved out from that rented house and into the palace guard. Okay, so he's probably chained to a Praetorian guard, uh, one of the members of, uh, of, of Caesar's personal guard, and he's there as part of the palace, uh, not knowing his fate, whether he's going to live or whether he's going to die. Now, I don't need to tell you uh, the reason why for this, but prisoners, prisoners suffer depression at rates of 10, 15 times more than the normal population. Again, I probably don't need to tell you why that might be. And yet what we read about, and what you might have picked up from reading uh, along with Abby this morning, was that Paul is not a depressed prisoner. In fact, quite the contrary, Paul is the happy prisoner. In fact, that's really the title of today's talk because it's all about how Paul... In his experience of house arrest and then in the rest of the palace guard and then, and, then, and then not knowing what's going to happen with his trial, he has a joy that just flows through him and it's right there in the text in front of you. You can just feel it emanating out of the words as he talks about that. 
And so we're going to be exploring about that secret of joy, about uh, this obsession and passion that Paul has, that it doesn't matter that he's in jail. He still has that joy flowing through him. See, read on with me from verse 12. Read with me in verse 12. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace garden to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Now, just taking those few verses, you kind of could get the picture that what should be a really bleak picture for him actually says, well, no, it served to advance the gospel. This is a thing for which Paul is most passionate about. This is his obsession. The message of Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection, as it brings life to our world, this is the thing that he can't stop talking about. This is what Paul's dedicated his life to. And he says, you know what? It doesn't matter about my personal circumstances because the gospel has been advancing. Now, there's three ways that Paul points out as the ways in which the gospel is advancing and the reason why he's, he can take joy even though he's in prison. Um, I'll bring them up there for you in a second. Uh, the first one is that uh, you see that the whole palace guard, they know the gospel, right? See, if you've ever watched any movie or TV show about jail, one of the things you realise really quickly is just how the jail guards get to know the prisoners really well, right? Because you've actually got this person under your custody 24-7. Uh, he's all, they're always in your care. And so what happens is you get to know them really well. Now, you can imagine Paul, he's probably literally chained to one of the Praetorian guards, right? So in that picture we had it, he's chained to one of the Praetorian guards. Now, what do you do if you're chained to someone for six hours or eight hours a day on your shift? And you've got a guy who's absolutely passionate about the gospel. See, one of the things Paul rejoices in is that he spends all day, every day in the palace just preaching the gospel to all the people, to the Praetorian guards, to anyone who would be there who would listen to him. I reckon for some of the guards, they would have found that incredibly annoying. You know, here's Paul again ranting on about his thing. Okay, yep, heard it all before. But Paul also actually hints later on in the letter that actually some of the members of the palace guard and perhaps even of, of the, the royal family themselves actually converted and were convinced by this. He says this uh, later on in Philippians uh, chapter 4, verse 20. He says he, at the end of the book, he says, well, all God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. Do you see why he's rejoicing? He's saying, you know what? I'm in chains. I am literally, I've got no freedom. I'm chained to a guard all day long. But you know what? There are people who, are, who would otherwise not have heard the gospel, who are hearing the gospel, and who can now report back to the rest of the world, I can report back and say there are members of Caesar's own household who are now belong, uh, belonging to Jesus. And in that, he rejoices. Now, the second thing is that he mentions that actually, well, the second reason is that uh, his imprisonment has actually inspired reluctant evangelists. It's inspired reluctant evangelists. Now, Paul's obviously received word of, of what's happening out there, that actually what's happening in the surrounding towns and cities, that people, Christians, regular people like you and me, have gone, wow, wow did you see how brave Paul is? Did you see that he continues preaching the gospel and he didn't care about what happened to him? 
right? This is like that scene in the movies I love. It's, it's like when the king, you know, the king is like the first one who charges into battle. I'm uh, just going to get those slides going, guys. Oh, there we go. There we go. Yeah, imagine that moment. It's the moment that a king is the first one to charge into battle. And when everyone else sees his fearlessness, just going in there, being the first one when he jumps into battle, everyone gets excited and they go and they charge into battle bravely like this. I think that's what Paul's seeing happening around him. He says, well, yeah, actually, me being in prison for the sake of the gospel is inspiring all those reluctant, uh, uh, those, those shy evangelists to get involved, to start proclaiming the gospel. This is a good thing. And so he rejoices, says it's not about me, it's about all the people out there who are now on there preaching the gospel. You know, I wonder if that's actually one of the things that we find hardest about evangelism. So we haven't actually seen people do it and do it well. And I often think back to my university days, and uh, we had this thing called, uh, we called it kind of cold turkey or, or walk-up evangelism. And, uh, and what you do is, is you just literally go and walk up to people at university and just open a conversation about religion, philosophy, Jesus. And, and you'd be surprised at how many people would say yes to a conversation about that. Now, I would never have done that on my own. I just never would have. But the way it was set up is that there would always be an older student who would get alongside a younger student and show them the ropes, actually take them out there and go, hey, you know what, you actually can just strike a conversation with anyone about Jesus. You don't need a special invitation for this. Uh, you'll be surprised at how many people just say yes. And, and I'd be surprised every time. I reckon 70% of the time people would be, sure, I'll have a chat to you about Jesus. I'll, tell, I'll, I'll talk about the existence of God with you. Let's go. Let's do it. And I'd be amazed. And I got to see some great evangelists get on the front foot and just have these conversations with people. And it was great. And so maybe that's for you. Maybe actually you're a shy evangelist. Maybe you're a reluctant evangelist. You just need to tap someone on the shoulder and say, hey, can you, can you show me? Can you talk me through how you approach it? So Paul says, hey, you know what? My circumstances is inspiring others around me. And that is a good thing. But the third one is actually a little bit of an interesting one. He says, well, not only has uh, the reluctant evangelist been ready to get out there and start evangelizing, but actually other people, other people are out there and preaching and evangelizing too, even those who don't have good motives have become more bold. In verse 15, he says, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Now, I'm going to give you a minute to have a chat to someone next to you. Why is it that Paul rejoices over people preaching for the wrong motive? It feels like a weird thing, doesn't it? I'm going to give you a minute to have a chat to the person next to you, and I'm going to grab a quick drink.
All right, I'm going to pull you up there. I'm going to pull you up there. Now, I reckon... You know, I reckon it's a really interesting question, isn't it? Paul has no problem uh, being really negative towards his opponent, right? He's, he's normally not this kind of positively kind of angled towards uh, uh, his opponents, but, but I think the clue is there, isn't it? The clue is that they're still preaching the gospel. They're still preaching the gospel. So he's not talking about uh, his you know, opponents from the circumcision party or opponents uh, in the Romans who are opposing. You know, he's talking about people who are preaching the gospel. See, I take it that actually these are some people who maybe have some sort of conflict or disagreement with Paul. You know, and in some way, maybe they're actually kind of a little bit happy that actually Paul is in prison at the moment. And, and, and they're taking the opportunity to, to go, well, I'm now bolder now because, well, Paul's sort of out of the way. We can kind of get on with preaching the gospel the way that we want to preach the gospel. You see, I think it's important to think to know that there are hard disagreements and there are kind of soft disagreements that happen uh, within, uh, uh, within the, the, the broader church. Uh, for example, there are core gospel truths, right? If you disagree, for example, on whether Jesus really rose from the dead, then actually I would fi- probably find it pretty hard to, 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 to feel like I'm preaching the same gospel as you. You know, I'm not sure I would personally actually consider you a Christian. But then there are those issues that are actually, they're, they're smaller uh, issues. They're, they're things that are not core matters, right? For example, what kind of music do you sing in church? What about the place of baptism? What about the role of the Holy Spirit in the Christian life? You know, there are people that disagree on these things. In fact, there's probably people within this church that disagree on some of those things, but they are not core doctrines, okay? They're not core doctrines like the doctrines of God's grace or the deity of Christ or salvation by faith alone. Like there are things that are core to the gospel that are important. And if we disagree on those things, that's okay. Because actually sometimes there are areas in scripture that are a little bit gray and people come in different ways to those issues. Now I think for Paul, he says, you know what? Uh, I might disagree with some of these people on some of those minor matters. But you know what? They're getting out there and they're preaching the gospel and in that I rejoice. I can actually be happy that, that a, a different church with maybe a slightly different understanding of the Christian life is out there preaching the gospel and people are being converted. In that I rejoice. See, friends, I want you to see how Paul can see through his circumstances to see what God is doing in and around him and to see how much he rejoices in that. See, I wonder if you can see through your circumstances and see the gospel opportunities that might be right in front of you. You know, sometimes I think that the very things that we find hardest might actually be the, the, the doors that are open for the gospel. Maybe the things that kind of feel like a bit of an imprisonment for you are actually God's way of opening up a new space that you hadn't seen before, you hadn't noticed. Now, I often think back to the time when, uh, when we've had our, our first kid, Aiden, and uh, life changed significantly. Uh, you know, I know a bunch of people within our church. We've had a massive uh, spate of babies over the last uh, month and a half or so. Uh, and so you might uh, have experienced this. But there's this moment when you just go, wow. Wow, man, this is the hardest thing I've ever done. You know, I remember having that conversation with Bonnie, kind of going, wow, this is, 
this is a whole new thing, you know, you feel like you've been so successful in your life and career and as doctors and, and, and ministry and whatever it is, and then you have a baby, this, this tiny little uh, weeks old boss who's demanding 24-7, who's never happy with you, he's always, you know, you're always having to clean up after them, you know what I mean? And, it feel, and I remember having that moment where we were like, man, now, we've never felt like a failure before, but right now we feel like such failures as parents. But you know what? I reckon in that first year of our first bub, there were new opportunities that were popping up, opening up all over the place. You know, I remember back to the time because um, uh, Bonnie, she's great at kind of just striking up these conversations with people and, and, and suddenly she finds herself, instead of kind of seeing patients um, uh, like she was in her day job, she's now there in mum's group just meeting people. And she was able with our church to start up a, a play group with other mums. And, and so there were mums popping in from the community, just coming into our church to actually uh, 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 meet up and, and get to know other Christians. And she would meet people in, at the swimming pool in mums and bubs classes. And suddenly there were all these connections that were coming in, doors opening for the gospel. In fact, I think motherhood is one of God's gifts to the gospel. It's one of the richest mission fields that there are out there. So I hope that's an encouragement for some of the mums out there who feel like who wonder, going, am I really doing much with my life and my day? You see, sometimes in our circumstances, we need to be able to see the gospel at work. And to see God opening those doors and those windows. Now what might that be for you? I've heard other stories about people who've been through cancer, depression, divorce, and the chance then to link up with others and to make connections with people who have been through that same hardship. Doors for the gospel. And see, that's how Paul can just rejoice and go, you know what, I can be in the worst of situations, the worst of circumstances, and yet I can rejoice. I can have a joy that transcends my circumstances. Yeah, as the author Tim Keller says, quite helpfully, I think, he says... There is a joy available that the deepest grief cannot put out. No circumstance or person can take away the joy God gives. Let's move on to point two. You see, Paul rejoices in the advance of the gospel, but his actually deeper joy goes beyond just the gospel itself. It goes actually to Jesus himself. So you read on with me. Verse 18, yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, that, that, uh, that what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. One of Paul's most famous lines, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Well, what does it mean? What does it mean? Well, I think what you see very immediately from this is that Christ is so precious to him that it actually doesn't matter whether he lives or dies. I think that's an amazing thing in itself, right? Right? Paul sees himself in a win-win scenario. He's kind of agonizing over this decision, actually, because on one hand, he says, well... Well, for me to live is Christ, because 
That's my passion. That's my joy. But you know what? When my life ends, I will go to be and spend eternity with him forever. It's a win-win scenario. And I think he finds great joy in that. See, is Christ that precious to you? Is Christ that precious to you? Later on uh, in chapter 3, which we'll get to later on, he says this, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. See, Jesus is so central to Paul is. It is his passion, his treasure, his obsession. See, to die is to go to spend eternity with his Lord. To live is to live exalting his Lord. It's actually a very freeing way to live. See, from his earthly perspective, he's lost everything. But for him, it doesn't matter because he's got Christ. Christ. Christ is his treasure. See, I think that's the reason, you know, whenever you, you, you know, when we saw the way through Acts, Paul, he is fearless. He is bold. He doesn't care. He doesn't seem to care too much about his personal well-being. This, this is the real life without fear. Do you know what I mean? I don't know if you ever see those little bumper stickers, things that says no fear. This is Paul living it out. See, listen, a lot of us actually do live with a lot of fears, don't we? Uh, fears for our future, fears for our kids, fears for our finances, uh, fear for our reputation, fear of failure, fear of rejection, just to name a few. Fear holds us back too, doesn't it? Stops us moving forwards in case things go wrong. Uh, safer just to keep doing what we're doing, keep the status quo. Fear stops us from being generous with our money, with our time. Because well, what if we don't have enough for ourselves? Fear stops us stepping out and taking risks because, well, what if we make a mistake? Well, let's be honest here. Who just finds it hard kind of sticking your hand up in class or in a, in a uni lecture or whatever it is, or volunteering to kind of put yourself forward, right? You find that hard? That's our fear at work in us. In fact, I said, I've heard it said, and I think it's true, that fear is the thing that underlies our procrastination, our perfectionism, and our distraction, right? We're, 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 we're afraid of dealing with things, and so we put it off. Or we're afraid of our own sense of inadequacy. So we, we work really, really hard to make sure we cover every single base and, we, and we're perfect at what we do. Or that feeling of fear from life, well, well, maybe we can just numb it and distract it with stuff. And maybe that feeling will go away. But you know what? I reckon the mature Christian has such an assurance of what we already have in Christ that it blows away our fears, that we lose our, our fear of, of losing. I mean, Paul doesn't have any fear of losing his life because he will spend it with Christ. You see, friends, faith casts out fear. So whatever fear is holding it back, you don't just combat it with more and more courage. You combat that with, with faith, with your faith in Jesus, with faith of what you already have, the assurance of your future is locked up with Christ. Takes us out of that fear mindset, that scarcity mindset, the mindset of abundance of having the Christ who gives freely, that helps you to live freely. And because of that, Paul willingly gives of himself for the sake of others. 
Because dying means going to be with Christ. So what does he do? Verse 22. He says, If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart to be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. See, friends, Paul gives you the secret to a fruitful life. To a fruitful life. Fruitful labor for Paul means seeing others make progress in the faith. Whatever time we have here on earth, use it for something that's significant. Use it for something of eternal significance. You see, he says he's, he's living on earth and he wants to be responsible with the time that he has, but he's really longing for heaven. See, he's wanting to depart, but willing to remain for the sake of others. Verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and will continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ will abound on account of me. Paul uses every last ounce of energy he has left to do what? To see others make progress and take joy in the faith. You know, I love looking around every Sunday to see the numbers of people serving, whether it's people welcoming or, or, or arranging the chairs or playing the music for us. You know, last week I loved looking around at the fellowship lunch and seeing the team there literally work themselves to the point of exhaustion so we could take joy together in the fellowship that we have. And it was, a, it was an amazing lunch. It was a lovely lunch. Last Sunday, I got to go, go along to Sunday school and to see Vicky and the team just working hard. What? To see little kids just make little steps of progress in the faith. And last Friday, I got to see the youth and the YF come together to, to grow each other, encourage each other, spur each other on. And it brings me joy to see that happening. Not just because I'm a pastor, because I'm a Christian. And I think and I hope that that would, that would be the thing that gives you joy. You see people making progress, taking joy in the faith. You know, I love this little quote from John Piper. He says this. The person who lived at... <coughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Get into that next slide. Clicker's struggling here. Yep. Here we go. He says this. If you live gladly to make others glad in God, your life will be hard, your risks will be high, and your joy will be full. I love that. Your life will be hard, your risks will be high, but your joy will be full. Ziggy talked about the fact that we're moving on to two congregations later this year, 9 a.m., 11 a.m., and let me say that some of our ministries are going to be stretched as a result of that, Right? Kind of thing. There's some ministries that we're welcoming at two services, where we'll be uh, we'll be having two uh, we'll be having music playing across uh, those two gatherings. So yes, actually at CP we've got a great crowd of people serving across our church, but we actually still need more help. We're going to need help to help us uh, really move forwards with this stuff, right? We're going to really need people to man those teams. So like we said. The mission is to make disciples, devoted disciples of Jesus. And what we're going to need is lots of people involved on those teams. And we're going to be stretched and challenged in new ways as a result of that. Now, there's lots of ways to kind of get involved with that. Uh, let me give you a few simple ones. 
Maybe something has tweaked for you. Maybe that whole idea of being making progress in, and, and helping others make progress has tweaked for you. But we want to hear from you. In fact, uh, you can always uh, leave a comment there in the Connect card, but we actually have uh, a little survey that sits there on our website all the time, and that's a way you can always let us know if you want to serve in new ways. Start serving. Maybe you need to change where you want to serve, or you want to say, hey, I'm, I'm willing to put my hand up for something. Jump on there. Sign up. Let us know, and we'll have that conversation with you. Because if you live gladly to make others glad in God, your life will be hard, your risks will be high, and your joy will be full. What we want is people serving, not out of a sense of obligation or because, you know, Pastor Matt or Iggy or Ben asked you to serve, but to serve out of the joy that you have in Christ, the joy that you want to bring to others. The joy you want to bring to youth or to kids. The joy you want to bring to our world that doesn't yet know Christ. That's the kind of person we want serving here at CPE. Now, last point. Last point. Stand together for Christ. Verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through that same struggle you saw that I had and now hear that I still have. Depois he finishes out the chapter, he says, as you come together, unity is a big thing. Suffering's going to come. Opposition's going to come. If we're going to stand for Christ and His glory and, 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 for His, and for joy in Christ, we need unity together. We need to stand arm in arm. Now, yesterday I had the pleasure of being at the men's conference. And what was awesome about that was 400 men in one building together. Now, let me give you a quick insight into that. Uh, when 400 men sing together, mate, the place is just vibrating. It is absolutely on fire. Now, it sounds a little bit funny, right? Because you're kind of missing that upper register. So it's all like deep, you know, real deep kind of lakes all singing together. But there's power in that. There's power in people coming together, being united, that sense of, we're, yeah, we're here, 400 men together for the gospel. And it was great. And, and that's what's good, and that's what's awesome about coming together every Sunday. We stand as we sing, as we hear the word together, as we belt out these songs together. We are being united in the gospel. Because when suffering comes, when opposition comes, we're going to know that we've got people side by side with us in that battle, in that journey with us together so church what have we seen in this uh, great passage I think we've seen Paul's unshakable joy in Christ haven't we we see it doesn't matter his circumstances doesn't matter if he lives or dies if he dies he goes to be with Christ if he lives he lives to glorify Christ his passion to help others to know Christ his desire to see Christians stand firm in Christ. Why? Because Christ is worth it. Because the joy that you find in Christ is unshakable, will transcend your circumstances, and it's the one joy in life that won't be shaken by your circumstances. 
You see, I think joy and passion is actually crucial to life, to all of life. I think we will always ultimately gravitate towards those things that we find our joy in. So let me ask you, church, is Christ your passion and your joy? You know, I spent the weekend at two different events. Uh, On Friday night here at Youth, we uh, watched The Social Dilemma, which is all about um, social, uh, uh, the social networks and how they really get us uh, hooked on their, on their networks. Uh, the other day we were uh, at the men's conference and lots of similar themes actually came out from both of them actually. You see, the message was this. When we seek our joy and passion in the things of the world, it will either consume us, disappoint us, or wreck us. When we choose earthly comforts over heavenly joys, we end up seeking more and more and more of it until it exhausts us. You see, that's so true of social media, the way it grabs our attention and exploits us for advertising revenue. You know, the way that they have these algorithms, they know so much, they have so much data on you, they know exactly how to push your buttons, how to trigger your brain. You see, there's this thing called dopamine in our brains, a thing that kind of rewards us, gives us uh, as part of our pleasure uh, cycle. And so what these things in our world do, they hijack that cycle. They hook us onto more and more little kind of, in, in the case of social media, little trivial hits of whatever it is on our phones. Now we did this exercise. It's quite a actually helpful, useful thing. Just grab this out for a second. Flip over to your settings for a second. Just, just do it. Just indulge me for, for uh, 10 seconds. Have a look in your settings. Go to your screen time. Go to the screen time section. It might be called digital well-being or something in that. And just have a quick glance at, at how much time you spent there. Now, there's lots of legitimate uses for our phone, of course. So uh, uh, not all of our, our screen time is going to be reflective of bad stuff. But just take in how much of that is trivial. How much of that has, uh, are, are just the trivial joys that we go looking for. You know, it's been interesting. I've been on this um, um, thing lately where I've been taking the phone out from my pocket and leaving it somewhere that's not on me all the time. So I'm not getting the notifications all the time. You know, it's very freeing. It's very freeing. Why? Because you're not kind of constantly clicking through to all the little trivial distractions and things that are there on our phones. All right, you can put them away now. You can uh, pick them up and, and do some more analysis of your own screen time habits later. But it's true of pornography as well. That the other big thing that came up from our men's conference, the way it grabs our attention, the way it, it hits you with these short-term dopamine hits. What happens over time is that eventually pornography will wreck your sexual desire. Because that's those repeated dopamine hits that reduce your pleasure, they reduce your motivation. And the same could be said about alcohol, sugary foods, video games, whatever it is for you. If you take joy in the things of this world, it'll consume you, it'll disappoint you, or it'll wreck you. In church, I can't help but feel that this is the battleground for our joy. This is where it's fought. See, if we truly find the unshakable joy in Christ, that unsurpassed treasures of knowing Christ, the passion for, for the gospel that, that sees others at knowing Christ, I reckon if we find our joy there, we're going to find it a lot easier to stay away from the junk and the addictions that enslave and destroy us. 
And as we grow and mature, I hope that's what we, we will see happen for us. We will take more and more joy in Christ and less and less joy in the things of this world. As we abandon our short-term pleasure-seeking, the, de- the, the detox our brain from those, from those dopamine hits, as we spend more time with God just getting outside, taking in sun and taking in God's creation, giving thanks to, to the Lord who made it all, I think we will start to find our joy in the place where Paul finds his joy. See another great quote here from John Piper. If you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it's not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It's because you have nibbled so long at the table of the world. Your soul is stuffed with small things and there is no room for the great. See, when our soul is stuffed full of the little hits of dopamine that we get from our world, the social media, pornography, sugar, whatever it is, it drains us of the chance to experience the glory of God. But friends, when you give your life's joy and passion to Christ, you will find a joy that is unshakable, a joy that can't be taken away from any circumstance. Let me pray for us again. Heavenly Father, in Christ you have given us life, forgiveness, salvation and joy. Father, I pray for each one of us here this morning that we would find our joy and our passion in Christ, that we would live to exalt Him, that we would live to serve Him and His people. Father, might you fill our souls with the joy of knowing Christ. Might we make those, those daily habit changes that we need to fill ourselves with that joy, that we might not be filled instead by the idols and the comforts of this world that ultimately wreck and destroy us. Father, we pray that we would see and and gasp at the glory and the joy that we can have in Christ. Lord, might that fill us, might that grow us. And as we continue to grow in our joy in Christ, might we continue to turn away from worldly pleasures, to know you better, to love you more, and to serve your people. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, church, why don't you take a moment now to reflect, reflect on the battle for joy in your heart and how you can find that joy in Christ. I'm going to give you a few moments to do that now.